The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So today, we are starting a new sermon series called God Here, where we are going to talk about the theological vision of the Refuge Church. And if you're like me, you probably need an update or you need to read it again, a refresher. And if you're a stranger that has never been here before, you may not have ever heard it. So I'd like to read that for you. The mission statement of the Refuge Church is simply this, that we are a church of the city. And our vision statement, which means how we carry that out, is by incarnating King Jesus in city life, speaking its language, singing its rhythms, sharing its spaces, freeing the oppressed, fighting injustice, finding people of peace, and inviting the city into the kingdom of God. And before we jump into the text that we're going to look at today, I want to read you a quick story that I wrote. So if you want to close your eyes, you can, so you can follow along and just enjoy this. So we have heard stories from the very beginning of time as we understand the beginning. Stories of God who spoke the entire world into existence by his word. The word unmatched and unparalleled to any other word that has ever been spoken. As creation was brought into existence by God, we saw a world that was completely established and by all standards was good. God had created a beautiful, sustainable earth consisting of day and night, a wonderful life-sustaining atmosphere, beautiful dry land and oceans, the sun, moon, and stars, animals of many kinds, colors, unique characteristics, man in his own image, male from dust and female from the rib of man, in a day of rest where people are to do no work and truly rest unto the Lord, observing how he rested from the work of creation on the seventh day. As the story continues, we see God give some standards of life and commands to the man named Adam and woman named Eve, a command that told them to be fruitful and multiply, and that they could eat from any fruit-bearing tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Humans, believing as often as they do that they knew what was best for themselves, were enticed by a serpent who told them to eat the fruit they were told not to because they would become like God and know the truth. Little did they know that they were already much like God because they were created in his image. However, they chose to eat the fruit And through disobeying God, sin had entered the world. From the moment sin entered the world, God told mankind that the consequences that were to follow were going to make life hard on them. Not only on their specific lives, but on any and all relationships on the world. And everything that was once seen as very good. But God gives us a glimmer of hope in all that mess that sin brought. That there was going to be one that was coming. And that when when he came, he would crush the serpent by his wounds, and by these same wounds we would be healed. This was incredible, because this God, who created a whole world from nothing, who could have created an entire new world to replace the broken one, makes a promise that he is going to send an answer to the world's problem of sin that will change the course of everything. One who will take the broken and all that is not good and make it beautiful, changing it and making it whole. Mankind continued to toil in sin, which we have seen through the stories of the Old Testament. 
And God set out standards for living that he passed down from the fathers of faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even though these men brought forth the standard from God, the people struggled and could not keep the standard. They needed something else because their very best was just not good enough. And it would never be good enough. Sin was alive in this world. Mankind thought they knew what was best, kind of like us most days. And the chaos that sin brought was evident in our world through broken promises, dishonesty, envy, jealousy, murder, stealing, unfaithfulness, and the list would be as long as the papers I have up here. But the promise was coming. You can open your eyes. So what were the people longing for? They were longing for something greater. But what was that? Have you guys ever been longing for someone that you were just so excited to see? For me, it was my grandmother. Because my grandmother always showed up at the right time, and she had extended visits at our house, and she always left at the right time as well. But she always brought the best gifts, and she always had the most fun with us. And that's something that, that we just always just cherished as a kid. In preparation, we would clean our living room, and we would, we would play together, and we would even make up songs for her so that when we saw her, we could perform them for her, which our favorite one was, you can sleep in... Our house tonight, Grandma, but you have to sleep on the floor. That was the name of one of the songs. And we sang it to her in really high-pitched voices, and she loved it. But we looked forward to seeing her because every time she would come to our house, we would have all these questions and thoughts that would like run through our head. And there were things like, is she going to drive her van that has the TV and VCR in it? Are we going to actually go with her around town and watch movies? And is she going to bring us snacks from all the different stops she made along the way? Or maybe she did a shopping spree at a local store and she has all these new gifts and toys for us. And so we really were excited because sometimes it would be like, is she going to have our birthday money or our Christmas presents? And a lot of times when we would walk through like the living room or the kitchen, she would go, birthday money, birthday money. And the cash would literally be in her hand and you would just be like, oh, I love you, grandma. You know, and you'd run up and you'd grab the money because you just knew this was a good time. And although we didn't know what every single time was like, we had all these ideas of what could happen. And there were a lot of things that we thought might happen, but we never really knew until she showed up. And in the same way, the people that were longing for this coming word, this promise from God, they were longing because they had heard so many things about him. And yet, they had never experienced him in the flesh. So, they could only go off of what they had heard and what they had read and what they had seen. For example, it was said about this coming word. He would be a descendant of David, and that's from 2 Samuel 7. He would be greater than David, and that's from Psalm 10, or 110. He would be preceded by a messenger, Malachi 3.1. He would be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Isaiah 9. He would proclaim freedom to the captives, Isaiah 61. He would be a willing sacrifice, Genesis 22. And he would be hated without cause, Psalm 35. And as a matter of fact, there were literally more than 400 prophecies of the one who was coming. And he was coming. And as we long with the people this morning, I want to take a look at John 1, 1 through 14. And after we read through this text, I'm going to tell you four stories this morning that are going to show you how Jesus came in grace and truth 
and what that meant for the people then and how we see God through the person of Jesus here on earth. I love this because maybe three weeks ago I preached on 1 John 1, 5 and this was my comparison verse. So I think it's exciting because I get to revisit it. I think God might be trying to tell me something. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In another translation, that word overcome is actually understood. Okay? So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And as we look at John 1, 1, as we go back, what we're beginning to see here is kind of the same thing that we see, we see in Genesis 1, 1, where it says that God created the heavens and the earth And as it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's just John, the author, telling us that God, his starting point, was eternal. That he was with God in the very beginning. And not only was he with God, but he was God. That God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus existed eternally together in the Godhead. So when we think of this, we see Jesus not at a starting point when he was born onto this earth through Mary. We see him as existing before. So he's not a demigod. So the other night I was sitting at the Charleston and I was talking to somebody and somebody said, I just can't accept him as a man and I definitely can't accept him as a demigod. And I said, well, that's okay because he is fully God and he is fully man. He is not a demigod. There is no half and half makeup. It's not like when you take a soda and you put it in um, your fountain machine and you push two different kinds of drinks, you have a mixed makeup, right? It's more like after you do that, you can't separate it after the fact because it is fully now both those things. You can't go cherry and cherry Coke, mix them, and then you're like, well, I've got half and half cherry Coke. Not anymore you don't. It's a cherry Coke mixer. And so that's all it is. It's one consistent. He is fully God and he is fully man. There is no separation and it is unconfused and undivisible you can't separate the two so in the next verses we keep going we see that he was the life and that life was the light of mankind so Jesus as he was full of life that the father had given him had come to bring life from the father to those that were living in spiritual darkness although those Oh, although he shone bright, fulfilling those prophecies that we talked about earlier, and even more than that, the 400, that the people were looking towards, those in spiritual blindness literally could not see him because sin and separation would not allow them to see Jesus as he truly was, and that is the Messiah. So then as we keep going, we see John, 
Go back. And this John is not the author John, so that you're not confused. So when you see John down here, this is not that John. This is John who came as the messenger. This is the John that was talked about in Malachi 3.1, where it says he will be preceded by a messenger. This was the one that was going and preparing the way for Jesus, so that people could come and put faith and trust in the name of Jesus. So he was coming as the ultimate witness. And as I read things about this, I got really excited because John was so quick to say, I'm not the light, but the light is coming. And I'm trying to draw your attention to that because I don't want you to miss it. Um, And as we continue on from there, we see that he is the true light that gives light to everyone that was in, oh, the light that was giving light to everyone was coming into this world. And I think that what I find most exciting and I wanted to point out to everyone is if you look through this passage, you see the word all and everyone consistently, which means that Jesus is trying to tell us that God's family is all-inclusive so that anyone is welcome, that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be Jesus's. That's how that works. And as we look through 10, 11, 12, and 13, it just confirms that even more because it says he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So he had first gone to the Jewish people and they rejected him. And then he allowed people that were not of Jewish heritage to also accept him. So now it's wide open. That anyone who believes in the name of Jesus can be saved. And then that brings us to the 14th verse of this um, passage. And it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full full of grace and truth. And this is amazing because Jesus came in the flesh and dwelt among us. He was literally here on earth. He pitched a tent. He literally tabernacled among us. That the temple that was talked about in the Old Testament that was filled up of God's spirit, this was Jesus in human form on our earth showing us the Father. And I'm going to tell you now four stories that I think are going to show Jesus in truth and grace and give us this real idea of what God is like. I read the book of John three times in preparation this morning. And I was able to see how Jesus lived and how he interacted and walked among us. And these stories give us a direct glimpse of who Jesus is and ultimately tells us about how Jesus is our perfect revelation of God. It was grace and truth. These two things together and not separate. So when we think of these two concepts at the end of 1 John 1.14, we need to see them working in tandem. It isn't one without the other. If we lean heavily on truth, then condemnation is the weight that we run into because everything's black and white. But if we lean too heavy on grace, the problem that we're going to run into is that everything is okay and there is absolutely no um, thought or consequence to the actions that we would carry out. So if we look at these apart from each other, we're going to miss out completely on Jesus. So when we see Jesus, we see God. This anticipation that the people had longing and waiting are erupting in the character and person of Jesus. And so I'm going to go ahead and tell you those stories. And I'm going to cite them so that you can go back and look at them yourselves 
and enjoy them. So the first thing I want you to see that Jesus is showing us through grace and truth is that God likes a good party too. And that God delights in our joy. And so Jesus, three days after his public ministry started, he went through Cana of Galilee. And what he did was he ended up at this wedding feast. And everybody here has been to a wedding, right? I'm sure if you all raise your hand, you're like, yeah, I've been to one. And, you know, we celebrate and we get excited and we dance and we enjoy the people that are with us. And at this party, what happens is that the refreshments start to run out. And Jesus' mom, being afraid, runs to Jesus and says, there's no more wine. And so Jesus is like, why do you concern me, woman? My time has not yet come. And she says, looking at the servants, because she realized the power of Jesus, she said, do what he tells you. And so Jesus then sends the servants to go get these six big, huge water jars the kinds that were for ceremonial washing, these things could hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. Okay? I get weary when Lancey asks me to go get the five-gallon water jug to come over here and fill it up and then take it back to the dispenser. But these are big jugs. And what, he, what they do is they fill them all the way up to the brim, as Jesus says. And Jesus turns them into wine. And then Jesus has it sent to the host who tastes it. And then what he says is remarkable. He says, in most traditions, they bring out the best wine first. And then as everyone has drank their fill, we start bringing in the cheaper wine. But this is the very best wine. And I think that we find ourselves asking the truth of that, which is, in God's truth, is that he wants the very best for us. He brought the best wine because he delights in our joy and that we're satisfied in what he provides which is absolutely the very best and that we can only experience true and complete joy when we acknowledge that and the grace is that Jesus looked at the people with compassion and he saw a party that was basically fading like a candle flame because there were no more refreshments and he said I'm about to bring this party to life because I am the life that these people are looking for. Right? Amazing. So there's truth and grace in that story, and I'm excited about that. So then the next story I'm going to tell you that also shows that Jesus came in truth and grace is going to show us also that God does not discriminate, and he's going to welcome every single person that comes to him. So Jesus, as he was doing his earthly ministry he was walking through Samaria and he was tired from his journey it was about noon and he sits down at the edge of a well and a Samaritan woman comes and walks up and sits down next to him and he says could you get me a drink and she looks at him automatically and says you are of Jewish descent and I am a Samaritan woman and he said well you know he goes if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink you'd have asked him for a drink. And she looks around because she doesn't see a water bucket or anything like that. And she says, but what do you have to draw with? And this well is deep. And Jesus says, the water I can offer you is living water. And she goes, how do I obtain that? And he said, well, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have had five. And the person that you are with now is not your husband truth of Jesus was revealed that he revealed that to her and then she said I can see that you're a prophet she said but the Jews say that we are going to worship on the mountains and in Jerusalem and Jesus said 
I'm telling you the truth that there's gonna be a time where you don't worship on this mountain and you don't worship in Jerusalem either, that you're gonna worship in spirit and truth. And she said, when the Messiah comes, that is coming, he's gonna explain everything to us. And Jesus said, I, the one that is speaking to you, am he. And from that moment, she just, I mean, right? Because she gets up and she's just like, what just happened? And she went and she told people, she said, somebody just told me everything I've ever done. And what happens is this woman, who if you were to do studies, you realize that she was also not accepted by the Samaritan people because of this thing she had going on in her life. That's why she was there at noon by herself anyways, because most Samaritans did it at 9 a.m. and they would do it as a social activity together. So she wasn't just a woman that was hated by Jewish people. She was a woman that was also condemned and outcasted by her own people. But Jesus sits and talks to her and he brings the truth to her awareness. He says, I know what's going on in your life. But what he didn't do is he didn't rub it in her face and he didn't use it as a weapon against her. He, he heard and saw and then he gave her the truth and then he invited her with an opportunity to believe and she did. And then because of that, not only did she believe, but she ran off and she told other Samaritans who also came and became a part of the fold. Isn't that incredible? So this is Jesus' compassion to this woman that explodes in truth and grace that ends up expanding out and bringing other people into the kingdom of God. The third story I want to tell you has to deal with Jesus showing us that faith in God can produce unthinkable results. We approach God through belief in the name of Jesus. And so Jesus, he's continuing his ministry. We're going to go back to Cana of Galilee like we did in the first story. And he was doing his teaching and his miracles and this this royal official saw that he was there and his son was sick and he ran up to Jesus and he said, please save my son. And Jesus said to him, he says, you people will only believe if you see signs and wonders. And he says, sir, please come down, save my son. And Jesus says, go, your son will live. And so the, the royal official turns and he leaves immediately. And when he leaves, he's on his way home and this servant runs up to the royal official and he says, your son's fever broke, he's all right. And, and the official says, at what time did this happen? And when the servant told him, he, he realized that it was the exact moment that Jesus had said, your son will be well. And so what Jesus showed us there was that if we believe in his name, that's enough. We don't need a miraculous sign or wonder or whatever, but it's his name that has the power. Because Jesus could have went with him, but he didn't. In compassion, he looked at the man and he said, go. And the man in obedience, when he listened and he went, the unthinkable thing that he thought happened. Amazing what the faith in Jesus' name can do. And the last story that I'm going to tell you this morning shows us that God is not swayed by other people's opinions, but that God loves us. And so Jesus had, the disciples had left Jesus and Jesus was traveling to the Mount of Olives and he went there around dawn and he was going to the temple courts where the people had gathered and he sat down to teach and while he was sitting there, the, the religious teachers and the teachers of the law had brought a woman that was caught in adultery and put her in the center of the group. And he said, this woman has been caught in adultery. The law of Moses says that we are to stone this woman. 
what do you say? And Jesus knew it was a trap because they wanted a reason to accuse him. But immediately Jesus just starts writing on the ground. And, uh, and they, they keep pestering him. And then Jesus just straightens up and he says, you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. And immediately people started leaving one by one from the oldest to the youngest. And they, and they left until it was only Jesus and this woman. And Jesus looks at the woman and he says, where are they? Does not one person condemn you? And she says, no one. And he says, and neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. And so there's this mob mentality, right? Where all these people are like, I mean, could you just imagine? She's in the middle of the room. I guarantee you there were people there. Stoner, stoner, you know what I'm talking about. The fight, fight crowd, right? Fight, fight, stoner. Come on, she's impure. Jesus, she's worthless. Stone her. And Jesus defends her. And not only does he defend her, he tells her to go and sin no more. Like he didn't tiptoe around the issue. He didn't say, oh no, this lady is not an adulterer. He acknowledged that. He brought that truth to her and he said, go and sin no more. And to the people that were there that were ready to throw the rocks, he was showing them, her need is your need too. Because the law that you are judging her by is the same law that you can't live up to. Right? And that's it. Jesus came in grace and truth. And when we acknowledge that, when we see that grace and truth, the compassion of Jesus and the truth of God exploding in the person of Jesus on our earth, we see our perfect model that we are to follow. And as we follow him, the things that we see Jesus modeling in front of us is the same thing that we can expect from God. And I want to share a personal story just to highlight that, is that when Susanna and I were dating, we actually had a baby before we were married. And we asked God to forgive us, and we, we committed to live for him. We, we were reading the Bible. We were reading books about Jesus. We were going to church every opportunity we had because we wanted to seek this Jesus who offered us this incredible forgiveness, this real relationship with God. And, we, and even though we did all these things and we were trying so hard and we were trying to be obedient now that this thing had already happened and Jesus had cleared this from us, people had a hard time seeing it and we were looked at almost like the worst people in the world. And me, I, I like to beat myself up about stuff. I get really depressed because I think of things I've done wrong and I'm like, that ruined me. I'm no good anymore. But that's not how Jesus felt. And a friend of mine looked at me and he said, Jacob, did Jesus forgive you? And I said, yeah, he did. And he goes, then it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because you are right with God. The minute you asked him to forgive you and you started to to see him as the truth, and you started to live in that truth, you were forgiven. That was the grace and truth of Jesus played out in my own life, and that is amazing. He's our model. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you and honor you and be excited about Jesus coming to this earth. May we be reminded of how beautiful and holy and perfect he was. In your name, amen.